0: Please note, in this episode we will be discussing topics of violence and racism, which may be upsetting to some listeners.
1: There were 720 people in the cast and crew, nearly 500 horses, the dining tent could seat 400, six cooking ranges, they had ovens, boilers, heaters, all of these things that it took to keep the show moving and to keep it on the road.
0: Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts and I'm the collections registrar for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're celebrating 100 years of our museums by looking in depth at 100 of our favourite objects and the stories that they can tell. We're going back to a time when Lancaster was home to cowboys, horses, and gunslingers, when the northwest of England felt a lot like the western frontier as Buffalo Bill rolled into town. Today's object is a sketch of Buffalo Bill by William Woodhouse. house was a local artist who we've discussed previously in this podcast series this sketch is made up of two sections a central piece of paper drawn separately which features the main portrait of buffalo bill and a larger piece of backing paper which the portrait has been attached to the backing paper has then been decorated with smaller sketches of bison moose wolves and several people linked to either the american old west or directly with buffalo bill's show The central portrait has been completed to a high level of detail and partially coloured with watercolours. The surrounding sketches, which crowd around and sometimes spill onto the central piece of paper, are in black ink or pencil. Overall, it measures 30 centimetres high by 25 centimetres wide. It's believed that the sketch was completed in this final form around 1932. However, the inspiration to sketch this larger-than-life character, and possibly parts of the sketch itself, came from nearly 30 years earlier when Buffalo Bill brought his Wild West show to Lancaster. We spoke to Dr Timothy Hickman, Senior Lecturer at the Department of History at Lancaster University, to find out more about the man and the myth that was Buffalo Bill, and why William Woodhouse created a portrait of him. He
1: probably will have drawn that picture because he was excited, as a lot of people were, that Buffalo Bill um, was here in Lancaster. Buffalo Bill at the time was one of the most famous entertainers in the world, without any doubt. He had brought a show here to Lancaster that appeared on the Giant Axe. That is his Wild West. And I I realize I just called it a show, which would have gotten me sacked. If I was actually part of the, the company, Buffalo Bill wouldn't have it. It was the Wild West. In the words of the Lancaster County and Standard Advertiser writing in 1904, the Wild West exhibition is reality itself. And that's certainly the way Buffalo Bill pitched it. They were here in 1904. They'd had several tours through Britain. This was about the 5th, starting in 1887 is when they they started coming. And they were very popular. The royals were very excited, and Queen Victoria saw the show four times, uh, something like that. And that helped with its popularity in Britain. This particular show, they went pretty much everywhere they could. They were here from April till October or so. It's amazing to look at the amount of work they did and and at the timetable. In the week that they came to Lancaster, that is starting on the 19th of September in 1904, they started off in Workington. Tuesday, they were in Whitehaven. Wednesday, they made it to Barrow. Thursday, they were in Kendall and got down to Lancaster for Friday. Saturday, they were in Blackpool. They did two shows a day, always, matinee and an evening performance, and broke it down at night. It's even harder than it sounds. They had three trains. Each one of them was between three and 400 yards long. There were 720 people in the cast and crew. Nearly 500 horses, all the tack, all the equipment, all the blacksmithing capabilities, not to mention their their food and and cooking, the the tents that they had, the, the dining tent could seat 400, six cooking ranges. They had ovens, boilers, heaters, all of these things that it took to keep the show moving and to keep it on the road. So it was pretty amazing having them here in Lancaster.
0: Thanks to wide coverage of Buffalo Bill shows, including in Lancaster's local papers, we can piece together a full and vivid idea of what people would have seen at the Giant Axe Field on the 23rd of September 1904.
1: Well, by this point, he had expanded the show. Initially, it was the Wild West. Now it was the Wild West and Congress of Rough Riders of the World. And he had brought in a whole bunch of other companies from from different countries. Uh, They had Cossacks. They had Turks. They had the Japanese Army demonstration. and They had the British Army riding alongside the U.S. Army. The first thing you saw as it began was Buffalo Bill riding out with his flowing white hair and the cowboy hat and the beard and uh, doffing his cap. And the the riders of the world then start coming out in this incredible procession that took a huge amount of precision between the horses and everything else. There was a very large troop of Native Americans that he brought along that were, were very much part of the show. Buffalo Bill treated them very well. They were paid as much as anyone else. The show itself, after the big parade, had a lot of other elements to it. They had cowboy fun. That was everything from riding bucking horses to sharpshooters. Earlier they'd had Annie Oakley was the star of the show. Little Annie Sure Shot, they called her. But she wasn't doing the show anymore. By this point, they had another sharpshooter in. They had what I find the most bizarre thing is the cowboy cyclist. Uh, That is, someone riding a bicycle and he would go sailing down a ramp and jump 52 feet through the air on his bicycle. They had a lot of fighting between, you know, cowboys and Indians, as they called them. There were other things that we would probably find boring, but the audiences liked them. Setting up the Indian encampment. uh, That is, just putting up teepees and building fires and doing things that they had done years before. The show would usually wind up with a lot of fighting. Custer's Last Stand, which was one of the things that had brought Buffalo Bill fame to begin with, where Buffalo Bill would, of course, play Custer. At the very end, they would show the settler's cottage besieged by Native Americans, and Buffalo Bill would come save the white women that were captured by the Native Americans. And that would be the end of the show then, the big sort of finale to it.
0: At the head of it all was the figure in our portrait, Buffalo Bill. He was as much a myth as a man. So who was Buffalo Bill? And was he even a real person?
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting question whether or not he was a real person. He, He certainly was, but it does force us to ask questions about the nature of reality itself and its relationship to representation because the borders get very, very blurred very quickly. William F. Cody was born in 1846 in Iowa, Iowa Territory at the time, but they moved to Kansas in the 1850s. Kansas in the 1850s was a very, very difficult place to be. This was really the epitome of of where the conflict over slavery or not to have slavery was, was happening. The question was whether or not slavery would be allowed to expand West, and there were pro-slavery people and there were anti-slavery people. Buffalo's Bill's dad was very, very anti-slavery, and he was an activist, and he was stabbed by some pro-slavery people and was severely injured. Within a couple of years, he had died from a chest infection that had everything to do with the stabbing he'd had. That meant that William Cody, at 11 years old, he had to support the family. His brother had died, too, from, from other things. And so he started picking up whatever kind kind of work he could get, usually running messages. Later, he said that he worked for the Pony Express, you know, the Postal Service. He had these wild stories of hundreds of mile journeys. He probably didn't do that. He tried to get into the Civil War. The Civil War starts in 1861 in the U.S. He was too young, though. And finally, they let him in in 1863, towards the end of it. And he, he served in the Union Army and in the North. After that, he ends up getting a job as a scout because he knows the territory and and sort of guiding the army. He also then gets released from that job because the Transcontinental Railroad is beginning to come through. And there's a lot of railroad workers there, and they need to eat, and he gets a job supplying buffalo. And that's where he gets the name. He killed many, many, many of them. Today, we would look at on that in horror. And I think he did too later in his life. He was involved in conservation programs. By then, it was too late. He continued as a scout. Being a scout was a good thing. They weren't really in the military, so they didn't wear uniforms. They were treated differently. They, they socialized with the officers. They wore buckskins. They had long hair, the beard, the whole look. And he did that. With some of his friends, uh, Bill Hickok, who becomes Wild Bill Hickok, Texas Jack Omahundro, and they all make these names for themselves. Because Buffalo Bill had really done pretty well as a scout, he was chosen then as a hunting guide. He starts uh, guiding particularly famous groups. There was a millionaire's hunt. They brought a bunch of Eastern millionaires out to kill Buffalo. And then the one that really sort of made him was a Russian aristocrat. Buffalo Bill knew when he had a good chance. He dressed appropriately for the role, crimson shirt, buckskins, and the whole look, because these things were getting written up in the Eastern newspapers as well.
0: At this point, William Cody's life stepped firmly into the fantastical, and Buffalo Bill became a character in his own right.
1: Now it comes into conflict with another sort of tradition in in US culture, and that's the dime novel. Written mostly for young readers, young men for the most part. It's a very literate society. They'd started earlier, probably the 1820s or 30s, writing about figures who were real But then they did larger-than-life things in in the stories. Davy Crockett is sort of the first one. They latch on to Buffalo Bill, and they start writing stories about him, particularly a guy named Ned Buntline, who's a very successful dime novel writer and starts producing shows in New York as well. That is stage plays with Buffalo Bill in them uh, doing all of these events. Well, Buntline actually goes out and meets Buffalo Bill and asks him, would you like to come back to New York with me? Buffalo Bill's not going to miss this opportunity. And he goes back. People want to see him. They want to hear from him. He realizes there's a lot of money to be made in this and starts doing shows on stage. He's given a script by Buntline. He just improvises because he can't learn his lines. His friends come along as well, Wild Bill Hickok and Texas Jack Omahundro. And they eventually form a theater company called the Buffalo Bill Combination. And what this company does is bring together these real Western figures with made-up stories. People knew what cowboys looked like. They knew what scouts looked like. They knew what Indians looked like because they'd seen pictures. So by putting those typical figures into the show, the story they're trying to tell appears as very, very real and as convincing. And so this whole story of the Wild West grows around Buffalo Bill. The winter, he's doing the shows in New York. In the summer, he's making money as a hunting guide. But the army wants him back uh, as a scout He makes a big dramatic gesture on stage and say, my country calls, I must go back. And he goes back and is scouting with the Fifth Cavalry looking for a group of so-called hostiles, that is Native Americans who disagree with the U.S. government and its expanding reservation policy. While he's doing that, the 7th Cavalry, under General George Armstrong Custer, gets involved with a very large group of Native Americans. Custer blunders into a Native American encampment. He thought it was a small camp. It was a large encampment of warriors. All of his soldiers are killed, and so is he. A few days later, Buffalo Bill and his group are out, and it's hard to say what happened. They thought they were going to see action the next day. The night before, he decided he wasn't going to wear the buckskins. They, they were getting you know a bit out of style by now. He put on one of his stage costumes, Mexican Vaquero, very elaborate. Either he was called out by one of the Cheyenne Indians, or he um, was surprised. Buffalo Bill is riding along, and so is the, the Native American. This man's name was Yellow Hand. They see one another. They pull up. They shoot. Big puff of smoke. Buffalo Bill's horse goes down. Buffalo Bill stands there. He takes out a very careful aim, and he shoots Yellow Hand and kills him. By this time, the army troop is charging down the hill. They go charging by. Buffalo Bill takes out his knife. He scalps Yellow Hand and he waves the bloody trophy around his head as they go riding by. The Eastern newspapers are filled immediately after with the first scalp for Custer. Buffalo Bill now appears as the Avenger for Custer. At this point, he is well and truly famous soon after that he decides to put together a bigger show that is the wild west where he wanted to show the wild west as it really was it's not a show it is the wild west but it's soaked in this tradition of the dime novels of the larger than life figures and that's why i said at the start you know was 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 he a real person in this case the myth is as real as the real and it certainly has as big effects as as the real thing itself
0: Buffalo Bill's Wild West included many Native Americans, whose presence was crucial to the show and the myth of the West. This myth often intertwined in complex ways with the violent reality of American history, reflected in Buffalo Bill's own personal relationships. One example can be seen around the edges of this drawing, which features a tiny portrait of another famous figure, Sitting Bull.
1: When people think about Native Americans, what they see is is the Plains Indians. By the late 19th century, as we're getting lots of photography, the Plains Indians are the, the last tribes left living traditionally. And so we see lots of pictures. They come into conflict with the cattle industry, so cowboys and Indians becomes a thing. Sitting Bull, of all of those, he is the Native American. He was an incredibly photogenic figure. He was a religious figure, actually, Lakota Sioux. And was involved in the Battle of Little Bighorn, Custer's Last Stand. And bizarrely enough, he uh, worked with Buffalo Bill. He was essentially a prisoner of war, but he was released in order to go tour with Buffalo Bill, which he did in 1885. And they traveled around. There's lots of pictures of the two of them together. He signed autographs and got, got paid for it. They got on. Sitting Bull died in connection with the ghost dance movement. Essentially what the ghost dance taught was that if you did the dance and you did the song, that the mountains would open up, the animals would come back, and all the dead ancestors would come back and drive the invaders off of their land. Well, the the army's first impulse is to get Buffalo Bill and to get him to go talk to Sitting Bull, because they thought Sitting Bull was was in charge of the ghost dancers, which he wasn't, though he was favorable to them. He he liked them. They stopped him, The, the the army intercepted him on the way there and said, no, don't go. What happens instead was they sent the tribal police at Standing Rock to go arrest Sitting Bull. There's a scuffle. One of the uh, police officers, who's a Native American, shot and killed Sitting Bull. This was a couple of days before the Wounded Knee massacre. About 300 men, women, and children were massacred by the U.S. Army. They were peaceful, which is the symbolic end of violent conflict, at least in the 19th century. Buffalo Bill goes on. His career continues. He remains popular. His last UK tour, I think, is the 1904 tour. However, he toured continental Europe after that. Eventually, it starts to lose its audience. People have seen it. It's not as exciting as it was. There is also cinema. And cinema is starting to take the place of it. Now, one of the things, you know, when you think about the the legacy of Buffalo Bill, is the visual culture of the Wild West, the visual culture of American cinema. It's from Buffalo Bill. He starts to lose a lot of money. He ends up working for other people. And ends up at the end, fairly sadly, he's in, in a lot of debt, never really retired. He, he dies at 70, finally, pretty much exhausted. But he would finally just ride out in other people's shows. He would come out and sit up on his horse and doff his hat was buried in Colorado at Lookout Mountain. This is controversial because the town of Cody, Wyoming, wants him as well. That was a town that he founded. When I was a, a little boy, I went to Buffalo Bill's grave. It was a very big deal. There's, there are all these rumors that his body has been stolen and it's actually buried in Cody, and the one that's in Colorado is, is, is a fake. Again, the question of the real and the representation, they just fall in on each other to a point where it's, it's very difficult to separate them and wonder... Do we even need to?
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. There are lots more episodes to discover where we talk about everything from stained glass to stone axes.